When I look at a picture of planet Earth taken from space, I don't see a big blue marble or a giant multicolored beach ball. I see a giant pizza with blue cheese and garlic cream sauce. And all the living creatures are trying to get their slice of the pie. I'm Steve Fisher, and this is Life Slices. Dr. Maya Warren is an ice cream scientist, and this is part two of our conversation in which Dr. Maya proves there's even more to ice cream and to Dr. Maya. Done some research on ice cream, and I've seen some pretty weird flavors around the world. What is the most bizarre? Well, when you talked about the ketchup, but what's the most bizarre one with the most bizarre ingredients that you've ever witnessed or experienced? So actually in Maine, I know they have lobster ice cream. I do love lobster, but I, I can't picture it in my ice cream. Um, <laughs> I've never had it, but I've, I have. I do know that they have that there. I have also seen octopus ice cream oh, no. in parts of the world. I don't think that fish or shellfish should necessarily be combined with ice cream personally ice cream that really leans more into the savory aspects of food. And, and sometimes it might be a sorbet as well. There's like a tomato basil sorbet, which is, sounds really, really like, I'm not sure, but it was actually pretty good. It's like, well, heat it up and it's soup. <laughs> soup with a lot of sugar, <laughs> um, but it was actually pretty good. And there's, um, there's this place in Nice in, in, in the south of France. I forget the name of it. I think it begins with an F, um, but I forget the name of it. But it has all these crazy frozen aerated dessert flavors. And I remember being in France one summer and I was like, I have to go to Nice. I have to go to this, to this ice cream place. And I probably was there tasting as much as I could for like an hour, just like trying to take it all in. But I mean, there's all kind of crazy stuff out there. I mean, people put crickets in ice cream. I mean, it just, it just depends. But you know, again, you can put anything and everything on it. And then what, what, what I might think is weird or different or crazy, it could be the other person treasure. So that's one of the really true um, amazing things about it. Has there ever been a flavor that you've wanted to create that just has never made it to your level of acceptance? Ooh, good question. A flavor I ever wanted to create that's never made it to my level. I really want to do a mass level, so mass manufacturing level of a beet ice cream. I know. It's amazing, Steve. It's so good. <laughs> roasted roasted beet ice cream with goat cheese and honey. Yes, it's really good. Um I've never seen beet ice cream mass produce. There may be a reason, <laughs> but I've never seen it mass produce. But I also don't really know how the goat cheese, because goat cheese does have a bit of water in it. I don't really know how the goat cheese is going to hold up. Ice crystallization is a thing. And so I don't really know how that will hold up. But I, that's one that I would love to be able to see mass produced if I could. But honestly, I don't really know if there's a market for it. But I've had it, I've done it personally, where I've even put salt and pepper on it. And it's well, really good. You see all kinds of ice creams from different ingredients now. There, there is almond milk and there's oat milk and, and cashew milk. And is there any of these products that are really not conducive to making into ice cream? So that's a really good question. 
And it all depends upon what they're using in those products. I always like to tell people, if you're going to go with a non-dairy product and you are not adverse or, or allergic to coconut oil, coconut fat, I say go with something, even if it says almond milk, almond milk is not loaded with fat per se. So ice cream and the things that mimic ice cream need fat. Fat is a functional ingredient in the product. So if we're looking to have the same texture, we, we kind of need that fat, which is why sorbet is never going to be ice cream. It's never going to have the exact same texture as ice cream. There, there typically is no fat in sorbet, especially not going to have milk fat. Sorbet is known to be uh, dairy-free. But when it comes to these sort of um, dairy alternative products that still mimic ice cream, Again, I just tell people to look for coconut fat because the coconut fat mimics milk fat very well in its compositional elements and how it how it behaves under the frozen under the freezing process. So a little earlier I talked about partial coalescence, this agglomeration of fat globules. And what happens when you when you start making ice cream, you make the ice cream mix, you mix all your ingredients together, you pasteurize, homogenize, you know, a uh, let it cool and aging it and all of that. And what happens um, when you homogenize is that you break up the fat globule. So you have a, a large fat globule and then it goes through goes through the homogenizer and it comes out dispersing it into many small itty bitty fat globules. So imagine hundreds and you know thousands of fat globules all around your, your ice cream mix. And what happens is when that ice cream mix then becomes ice cream, those little bitty fat globules that were once just kind of floating around all individually by themselves in the ice cream making process, those fat globules start hitting together because that dasher is there. They start hitting together because the ice formation is happening because the, the ice cream mix is now cooling. It's getting cold and the ice crystals are starting to form. And so when that happens, you end up with something called partially coalesced fat. So imagine a cluster of grapes and those grapes themselves partially, just partially fuse together so that they almost become one unit. But imagine hundreds and thousands of, of partially fused grapes together. And when you have that, that in ice cream is what we relate to when we eat it as a creaminess perception. So in, in these other products that don't, that can't get to that, if they're using a fat that doesn't crystallize at frozen temperatures, you won't get to that partially coalesced fat because the partially coalesced fat happens because milk fat or coconut fat is partially crystalline at the at the freezing refrigeration freezing temperature, and so are the cooling the cooling uh, freezing temperature. And so when you have those fat globules that are again partially crystalline, they're coming together, they're they're hitting together, but they're not fully able to coalesce like butter would be because they're hindered together by these partially crystalline um, fat, whether it's milk fat or coconut fat, but it's partially crystalline. And they can't, they can't quite merge all the way or fully coalesce together into a big fat globule because the fat crystals are hindering it from doing that. And when that happens, we, when we eat it, we perceive that as a creaminess perception. And when you don't have that in your frozen uh, non-dairy desserts, you're missing that impact. So I always like to tell people, if you really want the experience, go with something like coconut. It's non-dairy, but it mimics milk fat extremely well in the process of making ice cream. What's the difference between the different type of frozen desserts? We go in and we have ice cream, we have gelato, we have sorbet. Yes. So there are, in the United States, there are legal definitions for frozen aerated dessert products. So ice cream has to have 10% or more milk fat. 
So if you see a product on the store shelves that you're like, this doesn't say ice cream anywhere on it. Oh, it says frozen dairy dessert. That means it's not technically ice cream, so they can't call it ice cream. And then you have, if, it, if it's not meeting the legal standard definition, which there's a few other nuances in there, but typically 10% or more milk fat is what it has to be. And then when you look at uh, a gelato, in the United States, we don't actually have a legal definition for gelato. So we don't have anything that says, oh, this is what gelato has to be. You go to Italy, you go to other parts of Europe, that is a very different uh, situation. <laughs> they say, oh, gelato is this, gelato is that, gelato is served fresh. It is, you know, low overrun and high, sol- high total solids. And, you know, it's, it's, it's very different than how we might have gelato on the store shelves here in, in the United States. But then you go to some uh, gelatoterias here in the U.S. and they may say, oh, gelato is X, Y, and Z, but we don't have a legal definition. So you can kind of get away in the gelato world with having different things and maybe still calling it a gelato. But typically, we see gelatos as being less fat um, and not really going very high in overrun. So maybe no more than like a little less than like 50% overrun maybe in the gelato world. So it's a denser ice cream. Um, But again, we don't have a legal definition here in the United States. And then when it comes to a product like sorbet, of course, we don't have milk fat in sorbet. So sorbet is vegan. We typically look at sorbets as sort of uh, com- water combined with fruit combined with sugar it tends to be more fruity products, but you can have a chocolate sorbet. You can have, you know, any kind of thing could end up being a sorbet, but you have to be able with sorbets is increase the solids enough so you can freeze it properly. So it's not too incredibly icy with large ice crystals because it's going to be icy because it's a sorbet, but you try to get it as smooth as possible. And then you have things like frozen custard. A frozen custard by legal definition has to have 10% milk fat, but also 1.4% or more egg yolk. So we see products out there that we, that we may know as a custard, um, or like, um, cops frozen custard in Milwaukee, in Milwaukee, uh, Wisconsin or Culver's frozen custard, you know, the Culver's, uh, burger, uh, chain has frozen custard. And so that is 1.4% or more egg yolk, but it also meets the definition to have the right amount of fat as well, 10% or more milk fat. And so there's all different kinds of definitions for products out there. I, I just, I'm just so excited for more and more things to, you know, hit the market because I believe that we're ready for anything and everything because we, we just love ice cream and we always categorize it as ice cream, but it's not all ice cream. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I really think even though it's, we're, we're recording this early morning, I may have to go have some ice cream after we're done. You can have ice cream any and every time of day. I have, I will admit, I've had ice cream at 8 a.m. I've had, not today, but I've had ice cream probably almost every hour of the day in a 24-hour day. I have eaten ice cream. I've had ice cream at 4 in the morning, at 2 in the morning, at 6 in the morning. Ice cream literally has no bounds and no, no boundaries in my life. It, it's, yeah, it's any time and every time I want it, I eat it. How come no one's come out with a breakfast ice cream? I I think people have actually had yes like a high protein eggs and bacon ice cream or something. Oh, um, I think so. I think people have come out with like breakfast inspired type ice creams, like like it might be like a pancake flavor with like maple syrup, but not like oh, this is your breakfast. Like I don't think that people have done that, and it might be because we associate ice cream with you know, kind of a snack. It's, it's leaning, it's starting to lean towards snack, but we really associate it with like celebratory and like after dinner kind of type of thing or after a meal. Breakfast being the first meal, most people don't, don't want all that sugar and fat the first thing. Um, or if they do, they want it in a different way. 
I wanted you to talk about your Instagram show. Tell us about that. Yes. So I started something called um, Ice Cream Sundays with Dr. Maya back in May 2020 as a way to, first, it was a way to connect with people during a really, really, really crazy hard time that we were all going through in every single crevice of this earth and to be able to bring happiness to people. And I was inspired by everyone making bread, sourdough bread and banana bread. And I was like, whoa, why aren't people making ice cream? Like, I just was like, why are we all making bread and not ice cream? Ice cream is a true comfort food. And it's so incredibly easy to make. So I started uh, asking people on Instagram back in probably sometime in April, if they had ice cream uh, machines, ice cream makers. And in the poll, like, I don't know how many people replied, maybe like 80 at the time, I think only two people said they had ice cream makers. And I was like, well, this is going to be difficult to teach people how to make ice cream if they don't have the equipment. And so then I was like, well, you know, I know there's no churn ice cream things out there. So I just started looking up no churn ice cream and I created my own recipe of no churn ice cream. The first one I ever did was a cookies and cream. So I did that and I was like, oh, maybe I could teach people how to make ice cream this way because all you have to have is a stand mixer or a hand mixer, bowls, your ingredients, and it comes out really amazingly delicious. So I started doing that and I started, you know, just doing it by myself and like posting photos and people were like, oh my gosh, you made that looks really good. And I was like, yeah, like it's super easy. And then I was like, I think I'm just going to go on one day and I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to do it live and just see where it goes. And so I decided to start something again called Ice Cream Sundays with Dr. Maya, where on May 3rd is a Sunday. I went online, um, I came on Instagram live and I said, okay, welcome to what I think is going to be called Ice Cream Sundays with Dr. Maya. And I did the episode, I was dancing and just having fun. And you know, over time, I realized that it was so much more than just about the ice cream itself. It was about bringing people together, uniting people in a way within their own households. Because remember, people were all under their own households, living together, probably getting into arguments. I mean, it was just not the happiest time in the world. But to then bring that happiness and to, to people was something really, really cool. But then over time, I realized, wow, I'm able to share like what it means to be a scientist, what, it, what scientists look like what an ice cream scientist even is. And so it just opened up so many opportunities in terms of being able to share myself and the science of what I love with the world. And so it's grown so many legs. I think I've done, I don't know, like around 30 something episodes, which is kind of bonkers. I and mean, I, I put it on hold for just a little while right now, because I'm really busy with the, the work that I'm doing uh, right now, but I will be back. But it was such an amazing way for me to connect with the world, but also to bring happiness to people and to show people what a food scientist is, what a scientist looks like. Because we know if you were to go on a search engine and you type in scientist, you don't typically get someone that looks like me. Being able to continue to break those barriers is so incredibly important. Yeah, you're not wearing goggles or a lab coat. Talking about the pandemic stuff that was going on, everybody baking bread. How about a sourdough banana bread ice cream? Oh, interesting. That's like that's like the pandemic in in one scoop. <laughs> but banana banana and ice banana bread and ice cream is really good. I've I've done that before, um, but I've never done sourdough and ice cream. But that's interesting. Um, might have to have something there. You never know. Oh, okay. That sounds great. Uh, before I let you go, I gotta ask. You were are a celebrity. You're a TV celebrity. You were on the Amazing Race and actually won. Yes. 
how did you get on the amazing race? And then how did you win? You know, Steve, it is an absolutely um, amazing story of a lifetime. I couldn't, I couldn't have written it. I grew up watching The Amazing Race. And I remember when I was younger, I was like, oh my gosh, this would be so cool to go on one day. And then when I was in graduate school, I thought about it more. And I had been thinking about it for a few years before I actually tried out. And one day I was sitting in lab with my um, race partner, um, Amy DeYoung, Dr. Amy DeYoung. She is a candy scientist. And at the time we were both getting our PhDs and you know, in, in PhD research world, it kind of, you know, comes and goes. And some days you're really excited about your work. And other days you're like, Meh, I'm here, but I'm not really here. So <laughs> even though it's ice cream, there were definitely days like that. I remember sitting in the office, um, and Amy, Amy was in the office too. And I remember just some, for some reason, it was, it was in September. I remember thinking September, 2013. And I remember thinking, I wonder when Amazing Race comes back on. Because I, I just, I don't know why, but I just thought about it. Comes back on TV. And Amy was like, that show still comes on. And I was like, yes, it's such an amazing, like literally amazing show. You get to travel the world and do all this really fun, uh, uh, crazy stuff. And I just happened to look it up. And it was like, oh, airing September 27th or something like that. And I was like, oh, cool. And then I started talking to Amy about how I always wanted to try out for The Amazing Race. And she was like, oh, Maya, you're crazy. Like, what? And I was like, yeah, I thought about trying out for the amazing with my, with my future husband. And I wasn't dating, not dating and not married currently, but wasn't dating at the time. <laughs> and Amy was like, Maya, you are crazy. Like, what are you even talking about? And then I just happened to say, like, we should try out for the amazing race. And she was like, what? And I was like, yeah, we should try it. I wonder if there's tryouts. And I just happened to look up amazing race tryouts. And we were in Madison at the time in Wisconsin. And there are tryouts October 12th or 13th, 2013 in, Chica in downtown Chicago or in Chicago. And I was running the Chicago Marathon the next day. So I was already going to be in Chicago. And so I was like, Amy, like, we have to do this. Like, like I think we can do this. There's never been two food scientists getting their PhDs in candy and ice cream. And we're females to try out, probably to try out for, and definitely to be on The Amazing Race. And so with a little bit of convincing, I convinced Amy. We wrote a little script. We went down to Chicago. We had a one-minute interview where they didn't even ask a single question. They said, start and stop. And for one minute, we babbled. We showed our personalities, showed how cool and amazing it is to be women in science. And we got a call back. And from that call back, six, eight months later, we then get a final call saying, you're going on The Amazing Race. And we had a dream of a lifetime. We went on the amazing race and we only won one leg, which is the last leg of the amazing race. So we were the true underdogs um, of season 25. We were known as a sweet scientist and then became known as the candy girls. And we surpassed everyone's expectations in terms of, can these two pull it off? Will these two pull it off? One of the one of the most rewarding things about The Amazing Race is showing what perseverance can truly do. Because we were not winning all the legs. We were not looked at as the true people that were going to come in first. And no, we, we stuck to it. We kept our heads down and we made sure that we stayed true to who we are and we were able to get the job done. And to this day, it's still amazing because both Amy and myself get emails and phone calls from people saying, 
oh, you know, I was inspired to become a food scientist because I saw you on The Amazing Race. I mean, it's it's wild, Steve. It's one of the most rewarding things from The Amazing Race that was not even known. Would We didn't know that would happen. But to this day, we still get interactions from people. And now that the pandemic has, of course, caused us to do everything virtually, that's opened up even more because people have, can find us even easier now. And, oh, can I set up a Zoom with you or set up a FaceTime or, you know, whatever it might be to just be able to connect and talk. And they're inspired because they saw us when, when they were in high school, um, when, they, when we were running around the world and they were like, what's a food scientist? What's a candy scientist? What's an ice cream scientist? Is that really a thing? And now they are food scientists themselves. And so, again, it's one of the most rewarding things from the race. But you never know things until you try. So we just wanted to try it. Did ice cream have anything to do with your winning? Ice cream itself did not necessarily like come into play. But I know that our knowledge, our, our not our knowledge, but our ability to work under a lot of pressure often and our ability to work under very sleep-deprived conditions. Because on the race, you're not sleeping all that much. You're not getting all the food that you would usually get. We all lost weight and we're extremely exhausted. But having the mental stability to keep up is what definitely helped us win the race. Because you could have made ice cream along the way and left it for your opponents and it would like just kind of hold them up because they'd have to stop to eat the ice cream. I know. Only only if we would have been able to do that. I remember being in an airport once on the Amazing Race and like, I really want some ice cream. <laughs> but we never wanted to spend money because the money, the money that we had is the money that we had. And we would get more money along the way, but you never knew what you would get. A dollar or maybe $50. You didn't know. I remember going to an ice cream shop in the airport and it's like, can I just have a sample, a few samples of things? <laughs> and they, they gave it to me. but. I remember just like, like, oh man, I really want ice cream, but we're only gone for three weeks. So it's not, it lo- it seems longer than it is, but it's three, it's very, it's three very, very, very intense weeks. Now I will leave you with one last question. Are those little tasting spoons that you get too small? <laughs> that is a, that's a, such a funny question. They might be too small for some and they might be just right for others. It depends upon how much ice cream you put on it. So if it's just a taste, you don't need a lot because as long as you get all the inclusions and the, and you know, the, the particulates and the variegates, as long as you get all of that in there with the base of the ice cream itself, it's just enough. Sometimes you just need a little bit of that amuse-bouche and that's all you need. But other times it's like, oh no, you want a real taste. And so go ahead and get a little bit of a bigger spoon if you can, if they'll, if they'll give it to you or if you have it at home. Feed your soul. Ice cream for me is, it's, it's full of nutrients that truly make me happy. So do what makes you happy, but live a balanced life. And so if the tasting spoon's too small, just get a bigger one. I like it. I like it. <laughs> well, Steve, this was wonderful. This was truly a great conversation. You've, you've uh, asked me questions. No, and I've done a lot of interviews before, but you've asked me questions no one's asked before. So oh, good. I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite ice cream? Oh, man. It, it changes on a week-to-week basis. Uh, I, I, I do tend to like anything with caramel in it. Caramel coffee. Ooh. Can you take the ingredients of a Manhattan and make it into ice cream? I mean, technically you can. You just, you just have to you know, make sure that there's a balance between the amount of fat and sugar that's coming in with the, with the ingredients from the Manhattan and the alcohol that's going in to make sure that that's all balanced. 
That would be the happiest happy hour of them all. If you enjoyed this program, please subscribe and like us on social media and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Life Slices is produced by Beat Dick Ravens Productions, all rights reserved. Music courtesy of Fesley and Studios. 